We're going to um, look at part of this uh, very famous psalm. I think this is probably the most famous part of the whole Bible, Psalm 23. And um, hopefully we've got some slides here. And uh, hopefully between Amy at the back and myself, we'll get the, all the timings right. If we, you, you might get a point ahead of me, but uh, we'll hopefully uh, do well with that. I want to start by saying this. We live in the age, don't we, of the autobiography. When you go to the bookshop, row upon row of uh, people who've published their autobiography. I got bought this one at Christmas by my kids. We've we've enjoyed this year watching Apprentice as a family. And uh, my kids bought for me Alan Sugar's autobiography, What You See Is What You Get. I've not started reading that yet, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll get into that. Um, some, some other titles uh, that I've seen over this Christmas. Um, there's an autobiography by Joe Brand called Look Back in Hunger. Um, I don't know, who, do you know who wrote this one? Don't Hassle the Hoff. And, and he actually wrote another one called Making Waves as well. Are you allowed to have two autobiographies? What about this one? Some, some of the older men here might know this one. A footballer wrote an autobiography, and the title was, It's All About a Ball. Alan Ball, It's All About a Ball. Alan Ball. I thought I was quite clever. Richard Branson, Losing My Virginity. And what about this one? Who do you think wrote this one? My word is my bond. Roger Moore, James Bond. Well, I want to suggest to you that um, the words up on the screen here come in Psalm 23. And I want to suggest to you that if David, who wrote this psalm, was publishing an autobiography, I think this would be a great title. This man is not right. Some, some, one of the problems with autobiographies is that people write autobiographies now before they've even re- reached puberty, don't they? And uh, you, how can you write an autobiography before you've even reached the age of 20? And uh, maybe it just comes in installments. I think David is writing this psalm at the end of his life. And the sort of phrase that he would use to describe his life, I think this would be a great title. As he looks back, upon an extremely significant, interesting life full of ups and downs, I think a title for his autobiography might be, He Restores My Soul. This is David here in this psalm giving us the secret, I think, to his whole life. And I hope by the end we'll see something of that. Let me just uh, introduce before we get into what that phrase means. I think it's really good to stop, isn't it, sometimes and be reminded by this phrase that we actually have a soul. Isn't that true? We live, it seems, in such a shallow, superficial, materialistic culture. We worry much more about what we wear and our faces and our houses than we do about the fact that we have a living soul. Sometimes in the business, it's just good to stop and remember that, isn't it? I think it's, um, 
There's so many people, I think, who would would ask this question, maybe not verbally. Who am I? Where am I going? What is the point of me being alive and here on planet Earth? The Bible doesn't teach that we're here by accident. The Bible says that God created human beings in his image. And for that reason, we're not animals. We have a living soul. The real you, the precious part of you, the invisible bit, the inside, the real personhood of a human being. It's important. David could say, he restores my soul. It's good to be reminded also, not just that we have a soul, but that the God who made us is interested in our souls. That is an enormous encouragement and a source of hope. And I want you to catch a sense of David's excitement here. This is not a dour, boring psalm. The danger with it being familiar is that it becomes that. I think David here, there's a note of excitement here. He, the Lord, God Almighty, restores my soul. We're going to say a few things tonight. But I want to say this, if if you forget most of what I say, and you probably will, (laughs) it's important I don't forget what I'm going to say, you might forget. Remember these four words, because I want to say to you, these four words sum up the whole Bible. God is in the business of restoring people's souls. If you wanted to sum up the Bible, what is the Bible all about? That is a great way to sum up the Bible. And I I think it's good to be reminded that we have a soul. It's good to be reminded that God is interested and that he is in the business of restoring souls. Let me just think about the word restore with you. Um, This psalm would have been written by David in Hebrew. It's good for us to understand the kind of nuance of what he means here. And the the Hebrew behind this word, it, it really means to bring back and uh, let me give you some examples. Maybe we hear sometimes the news of a very old picture that's been painted by some famous artist hundreds of years ago. And they have experts, don't they, who come with the white gloves and the kind of delicate equipment, and they restore. And the idea is that what they're doing is they're bringing back something ancient to its former glory making all the colours come alive again. We have in Rotherham, uh, where I uh, live, uh, an old building in, in the centre of a village where we used to live, Whiston. It's called the Manorial Barn. And a uh, beautiful medieval banqueting hall, thatch roof, stone floor. Um, we had a carol service there just before Christmas. It's a fantastic venue. 20 years ago, the building was falling down, lottery funding, and the people have come in and they've brought it back to its former glory. They've restored it. We've also had, uh, oh, I don't know what it's been like up here. Over Christmas, it seems I know so many people who've had the flu and uh, sniffles and colds. Sometimes we might use this word to describe what it means to be brought back to full health. We talk about someone being restored back to health and fitness, don't we? And what about this one? You you could use this phrase to describe something that's been lost or stolen. It's interesting that if you actually delete files on your computer, 
I didn't know this until recently. There's a recycle bin. I, I never knew this. You can go to the recycle bin and you can press a button that brings it all back. Do you know what the button's called? The restore button. So when you've thrown something in the bin, you can press the restore button to bring it all back. Well, David here says, he restores my soul. He is making a wonderfully positive statement here. God is rebuilding me. He is reshaping me. He's repairing me. He's re-energizing me. God is putting my soul back together and making me what I was intended to be. That's an incredibly positive phrase, isn't it? I want to uh, maybe invent a concept with you. I'm not sure if I've invented this or I've read it somewhere, but it seems like a good phrase. I want to think with you about the whole idea of what I want to call soul depletion. Maybe you might know tonight what that feels like to have a soul that feels depleted. I think there were times in David's experience when he felt like his energy had been, what, what, what's the phrase that we say? His got up and go, get, his get up and go had got up and gone. His soul was depleted. The batteries were drained. There were times in his life when his plate was too full and his heart was too empty. I think as human beings, we can all relate to that. Little things provoke you. You can't get to sleep and then you can't get up. You know that a certain course of action is wrong but you don't seem to have the self-control left to do the right thing. I think if this is you, these words here in Psalm 23 are so relevant. He, the Lord God himself, restores my soul. Now, one of the great things about this psalm, there's 150 of them in the Bible. David wrote this particular one. This is um, a thousand years before Jesus was born. But the great thing about this psalm and some of these psalms is that we don't just have the poetry that David wrote as he describes and looks back over his life, but we also have the narrative of his life story and we can read about some of the things that happened to him in his life. And we can compare that story with what David writes here. And we can see some of the times when he felt that his soul was depleted. I want to look back with you then at some episodes in David's life. And um, hopefully by the end we'll get a sense of what he means as he sums up his life with these four words. Let me just say this as well. When I was a kid, I joined the Beano fan club. They sent me a badge and everything. Ganache of the dog. Do you remember the Beano? There was a character in the Beano known as Walter Softy. And I just want to highlight, before we get into David's life, that David 
was not some kind of Walter Softy. David was a man's man. This is the guy who, when he was only about 17, was wandering around on a battlefield holding the head of the giant Goliath with blood dripping from it. This is the man who the Bible tells us tipped out a box of 200 Philistine foreskins to pay the king for the hand of his daughter in marriage. What on earth would that look like? I can just imagine him saying, do you want me to count them for you, your majesty? This is the man who fought bears and lions to protect his father's sheep. As a teenager, as a military leader, his men loved him, and the whole story of his life throbs with the fact that he is undoubtedly a red-blooded man's man. His father was called Jesse, but David was no Jesse, if we could say that. But he knew what it was to have a soul that was wounded and depleted. This is an issue for men. Often men find it incredibly difficult to own up to the fact that their soul needs restoring. Are you okay? I'm all right. <laughs> we know that men don't like to admit weakness, do they? David was a man's man, but he knew that his soul needed to be restored. If we were playing family fortunes, we could say, what are the top three causes of soul depletion? Our survey said, well, here's the three. And maybe you can relate to these. Frustrated by people, ground down and fatigued by circumstances, or experiencing moral failure, Bible calls it sin. What we're going to do very simply is just look at those three areas and we'll just allude to some of the things that happened in David's life and hopefully by the end we'll understand what David means when he looks back and says, do you know what? God restores my soul. What about frustration then? First, this, this is something that can deplete your soul. This depletes my soul. Sometimes we're at work we, 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 we sometimes have a phrase about whether people are sappers or zappers. And you'll know what that means. A sapper is someone who walks into a room and drains the energy out of it. Sappers are sapping. A zapper, you, you know what a zapper is. When, when someone who's a zapper walks into a room, it seems like the whole energy and ambience of the, of, of the whole thing is, is lifted. Wouldn't, it be li wouldn't life be great if it wasn't for sappers? Those annoying people who just drain you constantly. Some people, sadly, are just born sappers. They don't seem to need any practice. They're, some people inspire you. Some people do, sadly, sap you. This was David's experience, and it frustrated him. There's a number of episodes we, we could talk about loads of things from his life. We haven't got loads of time. He was the invisible son. He had older brothers 
A prophet once came to their house to anoint one of the boys as the future king of Israel. And the prophet went through every single brother, got to the end and said, it's none of these. Have you got another son? And the father says, silly me, I have got another son. The youngest is out and the first looking after the sheep while we're in here. Even his own father forgot that he existed. Thanks, Dad, for taking me seriously. Shortly afterwards, David is sent by his father to the battle lines to take pack-ups for his brothers. It says in the Bible that his oldest brother burned with anger and said to him, What are you doing here? There's a version of the Bible called the Living Bible. It's a bit colloquial. And in that verse, his brother said to him, I know what a cocky brat you are. His brother, if, Thank, thanks very much. Enjoy your song, his bruv. David, later, no longer a boy, was promoted to military positions. Whatever he was sent to do, he did it so successfully until people started to like him. And the king's admiration quickly turns to jealousy and hatred. We're told in the Bible that David went out and struck the Philistines with such force that they fled before him. He comes home and the king tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. Thank you, your majesty, for your appreciation and warm welcome. Have you ever had the sense that you've tried your best and other people seem to misunderstand you? That's the kind of soul-depleting frustration that I'm talking about here. It seems that not one person in David's life had the courtesy to say to him, thank you. Do you ever feel like that? Frustrated, depleted, why do I bother? David ends up having to flee. He becomes a fugitive in the country that he loves. He has to hide backwaters and mountains and desert caves. And on one occasion, he fights for a town who are under siege. And then they betray him. And David, out in the desert, he's prayed. He's done his best. He's fought hard for justice and peace. And not one person has appreciated what he's done. And now he finds himself in the desert, depleted. What does he need? He needs his soul restoring. He needs encouragement. He needs filling back up because he's empty. How does God restore a frustrated, depleted soul? There's a lovely verse in 1 Samuel. If we've got it up, up here on the screen. One man, the king's son Jonathan, went to David out in the desert and helped him to find his strength in God. Jonathan was what we might call an encourager. He went out to find his mate to lift him up. 
this is a fairly new church here. And I want to, I, I want to inspire you, if I can, to challenge you to build into your church a culture of encouragement. How awful it is to feel soul depletion. How important it is to say thank you. How important it is when you see someone who's maybe a little down to get alongside them and put your arm around them as Jonathan did and help them to find their strength in God. There are times too when some of you are going to feel low and the way that God will fill you back up is by using someone else to draw alongside you to encourage you. So important to have a culture of encouragement. Some of you I know read the Bible and you can uh, find a concordance, a Bible dictionary. You look up the word encouragement and trace it through the New Testament, all the way through the New Testament. The whole New Testament throbs with this theme. Be an encourager. Be a zapper and not a sapper. Well, very quickly, what about fatigue? We need to be quick. By this, um, I'm not talking about people here, but circumstances. I, I think it's fair to say, I, you know, I'm, I was saying to someone before, I'm only 23. And, it, you know, it's, life's been hard. Sometimes it's a grind. Working with Paul's been tough as well. And all the grey hairs that come, I look a lot older than I really am. But sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? It is a grind at times. Sometimes we can feel tired of trying even to keep our heads above water. And so, so, some days it feels like it's all you can do to just come up and get a quick breath before you go back under again. As a young man, David had been anointed eventually when they realized he was one of the people in the family as the future king of Israel. And yet it's almost like every single circumstance in his life took him in the opposite direction to what God had promised. And the point I want to get to is that there comes a point in David's life where he's just had enough. He's absolutely fed up. What on earth is God doing in my life? And there's a verse at the end of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 27. So at the beginning, 1 Samuel 27. And it just says this. David thought to himself, one of these days I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. He was the king. These are the words of a broken, defeated, depressed man who is tired of running. God promised that I would be the king one day. <laughs> Fat chance of that happening. One of these days, Saul's spear is going to find a place in my back. Soul depletion, weariness, tiredness, fatigue. Do you feel like that sometimes? David goes off to hide and he ends up fighting on the wrong side. And when he comes home, the town where his family lives... And the families of his man has been raided and all the wives and children carried off. It says in the Bible that David's men wept till they had no more strength to weep. This time, there is no one to encourage him. There's no Jonathan. 
But right here, at the lowest point in his story, the Bible tells us that he found strength in the Lord his God. God restored his soul. His energy revived. And he said to his man, we're going to get back what has been taken. The Bible tells us that they restored every single piece of property Every wife, every child was recovered. As David experienced the Lord restoring his soul, reviving his energy, and sending him out to recover what had been taken. I wonder whether you've come to the place where you thought, I'm just going to let go because I can't hold on any longer. Too many crises, and it's almost like when you run away from them, you create more crises. David found his strength in God when he remembered what God had promised him. And when he allowed the promise that God had given to him to define him and to shape his response rather than his circumstances that were screaming that everything that God had said wasn't true, when he began to stand on what God had said, his energy revived and his soul was restored do you know one of the issues sometimes this is an issue for people who have recently become a Christian sometimes when someone becomes a Christian actually it makes things worse misunderstood by family and friends wondering what God is doing don't let your circumstances cause you to run away from God but let them cause you to run to him so that you can rely on the promises that he's made to you and so that your soul can be restored. One last thing, let's just think about failure, the third F, and then we're done. David has known what it means to be frustrated by people. He's known what it is to be ground down by circumstances. The Lord has restored his soul and blessed him and encouraged him. But we have to just um, turn to a part of David's life that really was his darkest hour where David experienced failure. And I I wonder whether this is the worst kind of soul depletion. David David knew that uh, what he had done was wrong. Uh, Later on in his life when he was king, he should have been out fighting. He stayed at home, was entitled to a rest. He sees a beautiful woman off the roof of his palace and he wants her. And he sends for her, he commits adultery. More than that, the woman falls pregnant. David decides in his wisdom to send the husband to the front line in the hope that he'll be killed so that no one will know what's gone on behind closed bedroom doors. And sure enough, the husband is killed. David spends a whole year with no one really knowing, apart from one or two trusted aides, what has gone on. And a prophet comes to David and tells him a story about a poor man who has one single sheep or lamb. And a rich man with a whole flock of sheep comes to him and steals the lamb from him. And David erupts in fury and says, that's terrible. This man should be put to death. And the prophet looks 
David right in the eye and says, David, you are the man. And he falls to his knees and realizes that he sinned. And that God knows. With great understatement, the Bible says, what David had done displeased the Lord. Failure, guilt. Can God restore a guilty soul and put it back together and make it whole again? David's response was to confess and not hide. I wonder tonight whether there's someone here and your issue is not frustration or fatigue, but failure. There's things you've done that you ought not to have done. Maybe there are things you ought to have done that you haven't done. And you feel guilty and empty and lost. You feel depleted. And you wonder, how can God love someone like me? Maybe you've done something that has shocked even you. Where did that come from? I want to tell you on the basis of David's life and the psalm that he wrote here that God can restore depleted souls. He can put you back together again. And the proof of it is not actually found in David, but a descendant of David, many, many years later, descendant of David, who is far greater than David, Jesus the Christ, who came into the world not to save the righteous, but sinners. I wonder tonight whether you can identify with David. If your soul is depleted, sometimes it'll take the encouragement of another person. Sometimes it'll take a reminder of God's promises to you. Sometimes it will take the conviction of of, of maybe of another person, the Bible, to show you some failure. But he restores my soul. Four simple words. What a great autobiography David's life would make. I wonder tonight, maybe I'm speaking to someone and you can identify with some of these things. Maybe your soul is depleted tonight. I want to encourage you to bring yourself to Jesus. Your frustrations, your weariness, and your sins and allow him a savior to restore your soul wouldn't that be fantastic to experience that even tonight